0: Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This week I'm joined by Steven Crawford, host of Chasing the Legends Podcast, as we go over his upcoming goals and strategies for the season. All right, thank you again for listening to the MI Hunting Podcast here. You know, we've actually just hit our 500 downloads for for the for the podcast. So, thank you so much for taking time on your day to give this a listen here. Yeah, hitting that 500 is a, a bit of a milestone for me. You know, that's kind of a benchmarker to see, you know, how much of these podcasts or these episodes each week um, are our region people and if people are still tuning in or not. So, big thank you for uh sticking with me here and continuing to listen. You know, it certainly is encouraging having you know, hit that type of benchmark so far. But going into this week, as the intro said, you know, I'm joined by Stephen Crawford, the Chasing Legends podcast, uh, you know, another Michigan native guy. Fortunately, uh, (laughs) my inexperience or me as being a dummy, uh, we missed some of the recording at the beginning of our discussion. I thought I was recording when I wasn't and then and then I had to end up, you know, catching it, you know, mid-conversation. So part of this conversation, you know, that that was missed was went into kind of what the uh, what's stored for each of us for the upcoming season, any, you know, out-of-state trips or kind of what the next month, you know, entail. And Stephen brought up a, some really good points about, you know, plan for his upcoming scouting uh, for this next month. You know, it is coming quickly to you know the Michigan opener for archery and he's went over a little bit about you know his plan on his basically going forward for this month you know he likes to kind of close out this this prep season with some speed scouting and basically what he's going through is just confirming his locations that he's picked out and kind of prioritizing or ranking them a little bit as to you know ones that he might hit early in the season or ones that he might hold off a little bit later potentially uh, just based on what he's seeing you know as we get a little bit closer and then we talk about his show a little bit about how he has on his show uh, basically all uh, spring and summer long he's come up with a monthly to-do list or checklist of things that you should be focusing on for each month um so his september one here should be releasing here shortly if you're interested um certainly i do suggest you give his show a try check it out it's very good again he's another one of those Michigan guys and you know he's very relatable you know that was one thing that really one thing that i really like about his show is that you know he comes off as that average average hunter you know an average guy um and he doesn't have you know those lofty goals are kind of unreliable to the average average hunter know, and we do talk a little bit about you know he does do some out-of-state hunts again but certainly a lot more people are doing that these days and again a lot of his focus is still here in michigan as we kind of discussed that you know it's nice to go out some of those other states and kind of experience new things um, but there's just something about hunting in michigan that it's home and it's familiar to us but it's something that we both kind of discussed that it's certainly one of the you know the highlights to be able to hunt in such a great state where you know you have really just a mix of you know all sorts of different types of hunting opportunities you now granted we don't have the uh, you know necessarily the, the age structure of some of the you know, other you know destination states but it is great hunting here and it's fun and it's challenging and that's I guess why we kind of discuss how much we love you know hunting here in Michigan so So I do apologize that we kind of missed that first portion of the conversation. We actually got started into some, you know, some good things um, that he discussed. Again, he goes in a little bit deeper of his strategy coming into the season. So again, jump on over into his show and give it a listen because he goes in a lot more detail. Um, Again. (laughs) I was just uh not paying attention to my recording equipment there we missed some of that conversation so we ended up jumping up about kind of mid conversation when you get into it it is catching you know part of the tail end of a conversation as we transition to getting into the the meat and potatoes of the conversation there but nonetheless some good information um from steven so without further ado here we go
1: it's so uh, what we did in 2019 was also it was unguided, nebraska and i want my dad and we ran into a whole mess of deer. He shot a big white tail. I shot a new, big mule deer. It was, it was a great time. I'm sure you guys will have a blast, whether you, whatever direction you're going.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool that you got some trips planned. Um, I've got a trip planned for late November to go out to South Dakota.
1: Is that a deer hunt? Yep. Yep. Oh, sweet. Is that um, will that be a bow or a rifle? hunt?
0: Uh, it'll be a rifle hunt, it's, um, and it's an, over going to be in the, the Black Hills area, and it's uh, yeah. whitetail only, so um, no mule deer, but it'll be fun going out there to see some new country and potentially go after uh, some bucks that may not be seen all that often here in Michigan.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's exciting. It's, it's, it's funny, all Michigan guys, man. All little serious Michigan hunters. Not man. all of them, because you know it's expensive but anybody who who can afford to do it like we all try to get out of state once a year i mean michigan hunting is great i mean i'm I'm never gonna dog on michigan hunting at all but it also is um it's fun to go hunt somewhere where any something could walk around the corner any second that would probably be a buck of a lifetime in michigan you know
0: yep so Yeah, it is. It it is always interesting because I know like there's other states like Pennsylvania, New York, um, you know, whatnot that, you know, they're heavily pressured too, And, you know, they don't have they're not one of those destination states, really. Um, But, you know, it's just so funny, like, even though this will be probably one of my or this will be my first uh, out of state hunt, you know, I still I'm pretty sure I'm still going to just really want to focus on Michigan and just try to master hunting this state and be, you know, just the best I can be for this area, Um, because there are a ton of deer, it's great hunting, and I think, I think that it's just a good goal to always try to strive for, um, for this state, of being able to, you know, be consistent here in Michigan.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate challenge, right, and uh, I love it, I mean, I, last year, actually, my only out-of-state trip was a January muzzleloader hunt to Ohio, so, I was able to soak up Michigan the whole season and I mean it's just a different challenge it's a it's a, it's a, a level up I mean I think a lot of people noticed that a few years ago when the hunting public came to Michigan and I feel like a lot of people in a lot of states they go to one of them ends up getting into a really good buck and I think the best buck they shot all week here was a two and a half year old and it just goes to show like especially public land, you got to work your ass off for a two and a half year old buck in a state. And it's unlike any, I mean, there are states that are similar, like you just mentioned, New York, Pennsylvania, um, even Minnesota. But we just, it's, it's a different caliber, man. Our tuna, nobody can, can, will ever convince me that our two and a half year old bucks here are just, are the same level of intelligence as a two and a half year old and, Iowa It's a different animal A two and a half year old In Michigan I will Go to my grave Saying it's a smarter animal Than a two and a half year old buck In another big Midwestern Whitetail state Because The amount of pressure They deal with is just You know Tenfold To what a buck In another state Might realize And Pressure educates animals And I think Two and a half year old bucks Man They're tough to kill here Yep and then they, you get into that are. other yeah then you then you even up the game and try to get in a three and four year old bucks and they uh they're gray ghosts man they're tough
0: yep all right so so are you going to be able to go out and uh are you going to be doing the early antler list at all and try to fill a tag right away
1: no no i'm not i and one of the main reasons is this new michigan law with uh 10 tags that we get Um, so for anybody that's listening to this podcast that's from out of the state of Michigan or I mean even people that are in Michigan probably realize in the past there's been areas in the lower peninsula where it's been really tough to get a doe tag um, especially on some areas of public land where this year the new regulations you can buy 10 doe tags that are good for anywhere in the lower peninsula and because of that and the I, I, <laughs> this is my plan we'll see how it works out but i i am hoping to fill a lot of those go tags on public land this year i, brought, I put my put on a, way, a a lot much bigger focus on public land this year scouting and prepping myself for a bunch of public land hunts this fall where and i'm not going to be I'm not gonna discriminate on public land. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to fill quite a few tags out there if I can. I think it's a heck of an accomplishment to kill a couple dozens in public land in Michigan. So, um, that's one of my goals this year. And, and, I believe the correct me if I'm wrong, but the private the the early antlerless season is a private land only.
0: Yep, to my understanding, yeah, it's private land only. Yep.
1: Yeah, and something and just. I don't have permission at many on many private pieces, but the ones I do, um, you can bet your bottom downward. that I get my eyes on a few bucks. And if there's any, ch- I don't want to do anything that might disturb their early season pattern. Sure. Um, yep. before October first, because that window of October one through October four, I think is probably your best chance to kill the target buck. Throughout the year, I mean, yeah, the rut's probably better hunting, but it's more there's more randomness to it. Well, early October is your sometimes your only sure thing until maybe it gets a really cold late in the season and muzzleloader. But um, I'm a true believer that if you have your eyes on a buck, your best chance to kill him is your is that virgin set in the first week of October, and I just don't want to do anything to disturb that, which means i i sit out for antlerless season in september
0: yeah no especially if you've already got you know eyes on a few bucks that you are on those properties yeah i wouldn't mess it up either um i know i'm gonna be taking out or i'm gonna be going out as well as taking my sister out to our private piece that i've done a lot of work on um just because i know we are overrun with those on that property so we need to thin them out so i figured it'd be a good way to get her going for the season
1: it's it's a great opportunity you know every every property is different you know if i had a if i gained access to a piece that i found out really quickly that the buck to doe ratio was you know 20 25 to 1 and there were you know a bunch of year and a half old bucks on the property i'd be uh i'd be out there telling some doe tags too i just uh pieces that i hunt in in southern michigan are pieces that i've hunted for quite a long time with my old man and we've done a pretty good job of managing the herd as best we can for small pieces in michigan and the buck to doe ratio is pretty pretty good for the for for michigan piece so that's why i choose to stay out but heck if you have a piece of property with a bunch of does crawling around it it's a great opportunity to go fill some tags and fill the freezer yep yep
0: and then so um you're saying that your your primary your it sounds like almost like your main goal is to get out on that public land quite a bit this year um you know what made you really want to dive into the public land you know so hard this year
1: um a couple reasons a to have more options um like i said the pieces that i hunt in southern michigan they're not they're not Big um, and try to stay off them as much as possible, pressure wise, and only hunt them like for specific wind directions and you know, specific colder fronts. And you know how it is in Michigan. I mean, the biggest piece that I hunt in South Michigan is 80 acres, and 80 acres can get pressured really quickly, especially if there's more than one person hunting them. So public hunting public land gets me in the woods more and keeps the pressure off the, the pieces I hunt in uh, South Michigan. But I think the main reason is just the challenge of it. Um, I have now killed a couple good bucks on my private pieces in South Michigan, and I'm just looking for, you know, I think Michigan public hunting, land hunting is, like, the ultimate challenge in the deer world. And that's me being biased because I born and raised here. But the guys that consistently get it done, uh, and it doesn't even have to be a big, you know, a uh, you know a pope and young buck. But guys who can consistently go out and shoot two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half-year-old bucks on public land in Michigan, those, those are the badasses out there. And uh, those are the guys that know what they're doing. And just because you are dealing with more people than you are in the country. I know there's probably a couple of hidden gems in the state where they don't get very highly pressured on public. But the whole mindset of trying to become a better hunter each and every day, year in and year out. Uh, I think the bigger track of land, these big pieces of public that we have in Michigan really enhances your knowledge so not only just for michigan hunting but the more you enhance your knowledge on hunting public land it makes those four or five day out of state trips that you're hunting on public land that much more efficient because you're so much more knowledgeable on how you want to hunt it when you get there Uh, so those are those are the two big reasons why I'd like to be in public land. A, just the challenge of enhancing my knowledge, the challenge, you know, taking on that challenge of trying to kill a good buck on public land and hopefully fill in a, a few doe tags while I'm at it as well. And also just to relieve pressure off the small pieces I hunt in Michigan because, you know, I think we all know p- private land is hard to find um, access to anywhere in the country but specifically in Michigan with the amount of hunters we have so just want to keep those properties humming and keep them keep them at the level they're at now and one way to do that is stay off them and hunt them when when the moment's right
0: yep yeah I'm I'm again in the same boat as you you know you know with the private land spot again like you said our spot that we hunt is 80, 80 acres as well. And yeah, it's really easy to overhunt that small parcel, um, and then ruin the rest of the season for yourself before it really, it really, before you even get a chance. So I agree this, the, the, the public land allows you to have more opportunity. And then I've certainly, I hunt those public lands spots much more aggressively because of how much sure. acreage I have. So, I, I'm able to take a few more risks, and then also learn, um, you know, those different tactics. You know, being more aggressive, and like you said, ultimately you, you learn more from it because you're able to, um, you know, try new things that you may not be able to do on your own private land. Or
1: absolutely, I think it's way easier to get aggressive on a piece of property that you know if you end up bumping the buck out of the area for some reason it's not the end of the world on a piece of public where you know if you if you put all your eggs in a 40 acre basket on a piece of private land and uh, try to get aggressive on that deer and bump them out of the area hey he could be shot the next piece of private or you never see that buck again in daylight so the risk reward is a little bit easier to deal with on public and the adventure side right they're the the It's hard to feel that adventure... I I love hunting no matter what and no matter where I'm hunting, but that, that adventure side of those big tracks of public land are a heck of a lot of fun. And I really didn't realize it until I started hunting public land down in Ohio seven, eight years ago. Like, these big, big woods, very hilly terrain, and... That adventure side of like I have this huge landscape in front of me. Uh, it's not just a ten acre plot of timber with a bean field. And uh, the adventure side of like exploring and learning and challenging yourself in new areas is is very is, is so much fun.
0: Yep, yep, and yeah, it's really easy to get that, especially if you have a big, um, you know, big chunk of uh land available, you know, as we do here in Michigan, we've got tons of public land. It's really easy to let that wanderlust get a get a hold of you and you just keep exploring new spots and you always want to see what's over that next hill.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, unless you own I don't know what your situation is. The properties that I hunt I don't the piece of private I hunt I don't own. Which means they could be taken away from me by, you know, somebody like a landowner's nephew or son or I mean it could happen overnight where those pieces of property are sold off and you're like oh what do I do now but if the majority of your eggs are in the public land basket then it's a little bit easier to, to take on that blow
0: yep so yep uh,
1: you know I and I think there's just there's so much public land in Michigan there's a bunch up toward you know, there's still a bunch in southwest michigan there's room for everybody yep. there are good bucks to be had out there so I, i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to the challenge i've put on some miles this year trying to find you know a spot where maybe i can run into a three-year-old buck and uh looking forward to it
0: yeah, yeah so is that what your goal is, is to try to get like a two-year-old or better then? on the public land side?
1: Yeah, I would... Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm two-and-a-half-year-old bucks for my jam here in Michigan. Like, I'm probably not going to kill a two-and-a-half-year-old on my piece of private, um, especially with some of the bucks I got walking out there this year. But on I, I, I'm, I'm public land, I'm, I'm smashing a, a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. We get two tags. So I'm going to take advantage of that fact.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, again, right there with you. A two-year-old is not safe in the woods with me <laughs> at least on that public <laughs> land so i actually no. i missed my opportunity last year um was that full draw on it and it just didn't happen
1: hey that's a that's a success though right i mean
0: i i, I, I definitely <laughs> did consider it success because at no point did the did the buck really realize i was there it just i think it just got lucky because it was coming through some pines and it was broadside so i was waiting for it to passed by these pines and as it was stepping out of that last pine tree for to come into my shooting lane I went through my draw process and while I was drawing the deer did a 90 degree turn and ended up facing directly at me so I'm at Uh. full draw and it's facing me now so I just held there thinking okay he's gonna turn he's gonna turn back to the direction that he was going and I'll get my shot there this deer for whatever reason looked over its shoulder like, behind himself, did a complete 180 in one fluid motion and started walking directly away from me at that point. And I I couldn't believe that that deer was clearly going one direction, turned, and then did a 180 and walked away from me. And again, he didn't spook or anything like that. He nonchalantly walked into this other bit of cover. Um, So I don't know why he took that direction he did. The only thing I can think is that... He might have been doing that little J-hook motion, getting into, heading towards his bedding area. So he was looping around and made it kind of towards the end of that J-hook and ended up turning because he was going to head directly into his bedding area at that point. I don't know if that's what he was doing, but he just, yeah, he looped around and then just turned right back around the other direction and never presented that, you know, a, a broadside shot for me. So I had to hold off on it.
1: I mean, you very well could be right. could have been heading back to his back doing his little j but how many hunters out there are like, why, like, we all have that story of like those close calls and why did he do that right then and there? Haunts you, man, but that's what keeps you coming back.
0: Yeah, yeah, but like you said, um, I consider that success because he didn't know I was there. I, I managed to get the full drawn. If he would have done just like a one or two things differently, he would have got an arrow at him.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, public land—that's almost considered like an opportunity. That's that's huge success. And you know, if I don't, I don't, I don't want to come out and say that killing a two and a half year old buck is like my main goal. My main goal is just kind of like enhance my knowledge, continue to learn. If I get an opportunity, great. If I can kill a couple, if I can fill a doe tag or two in the process, great. Um. Uh, but I just really want to learn more about these pieces of public and how I'm going to hunt – you know, it's going to be a big learning time for me. You know, I've I've hunted public land quite a bit in the past, but not a in Michigan, and uh, uh, it, it's a different animal in Michigan. So I'm sure there's going to be nights where I'm extremely frustrated and feel like I'm wasting my time. But I'm co- also confident that I'm going to have some good fits because I've done the – the homework and the you know the preseason work to hopefully have some op- options to, to put myself in a good situation
0: yeah so in in with all that work and all your prep and scouting and whatnot you know are is there a particular area that you're focusing on are you looking at you know transition areas you know the thick bedding swamps
1: yeah so i mean it depends on the, the, the time of year um and it's gonna relate, and some of those gonna relate to what kind of pressure I'm seeing during bull season in those areas on the public. But um, I think a lot of a, and I'm if I if I stumble into a doe, doe great. But really, what I'm I'm hunting bucks. So what well, I think I think a lot of more mature bucks in the state of Michigan it's going to be very hard to kill them. On a, on a primary food source in October. Uh, they've dealt with a lot of pressure and I feel like when that velvet comes off, the activity switches dramatically where a secondary food source might become their primary food source. And the only time they're hitting that primary food source, whether it be a cornfield or a bean field or, a, um, some kind of private land food plot off the public, uh I think it's all I think a lot of it's gonna be happening at night. So early on in the season I'm not seeing a ton of pressure on hunting. I'm looking for those I'm looking at those secondary food sources. So what I mean by that is I'm looking for those solitaire oaks, those small oak groves. I have run into some areas that is like that are like straight white oak and those areas are that's like hunting a cornfield. Um because there's so much food available it's hard to put yourself in the exact right spot so i'm not so focused on those i'm looking for like solitary oaks that you know they might be the only food source for 200 yards um i stumbled in a couple apple trees that i plan on hunting early season that are tucked up pretty close to to bedding areas and all these secondary food sources are all within a hundred yards of a pri- of what I see as a primary bedding area.
0: Gotcha. So you're kind um, of focusing in on that that food source that's in between that main food source, or their like their nightly food source and their beds. And does that sound correct. about right? Okay.
1: Yep. So that's that's kind of like my that's my approach. The first couple weeks, um but if the, if I see more pressure kicking in, or I'm um, seeing. So, of you know, if I'm seeing a lot of nocturnal activity on some of my cameras, then that's when I'm you know, when we get to that second week of October, I'm really gonna start really pushing, being really aggressive in those bedding areas that I've you know, I've I've stumbled upon a few. What I'm pretty confident are our buck beds on these on these on some of these public lands. So, if I'm not seeing him come to that secondary food source in daylight um, I'm not going to set that area again I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive I'm going to push I have some swamps that have some little islands on them that I got my eye on that it's going to be hell to get back to but I am confident that there's deer in those areas just from looking at sign Um, but I'm also going to start like we talked about earlier in the conversation I'm gonna quick circle back there in September, really like a speed scout really quickly just to confirm like sign is hot or not in that area. Yep. Um, so the, the farther we the closer we get into October, um, the further we push into October, we're really gonna be concentrated on pushing those those bedding areas. Um, and then as we get into late October, that's when i'm gonna start you start to like focus more on just simplifying the game because there's so much randomness to the rut um where i'm looking to sit just focusing on downwind of doe bedding area if i find if i stumble while i'm hunting if i stumble upon an area where i'm seeing a lot of does that's where probably i'm going to focus my attention come you know as we get closer to halloween gotcha and go from there so that's kind of like how i'm gonna round up my october um october is gonna be the month where i do a lot of my public land hunting because um come november like i'm going to missouri um going to ohio we do have a hunting deer camp in uh northeast michigan that i'll be spending the opener rifle at um so and uh then i'll probably circle back to public once that first initial push of that first week of gun season kind of fizzles um get back into public and see what i can do but that's all that's all kind of like a game plan right now we'll see how the season goes because i'm still gonna hunt a couple i gonna mean, have a couple sits on my private pieces um in october as well and we'll see If I'm if I'm lucky enough to fill a few tags, well, uh, those strategies might change a little bit. Or if I'm eating a tag sandwich, you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be as aggressive as possible as the season wears on.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the touch base a a little bit about your you know tactics or your uh, kind of mindset and going to that that public land. You know, that's I do a lot the same where. You know, if I look at where I've, you know, placed my stands or my pins and whatnot, there's usually a major food source and then an area where it's usually gets in the swamp area and then I'm somewhere in between them. And kind of like you said, I just kind of move along that line of travel if it's, um, you know, if I'm catching them, you know, if I'm not seeing them or if I think they're going, coming through when it's still dark and whatnot. So I ran that situation, uh, Hunting over on my mom's um, private land spot, where you know I had all these bucks coming through, but it was close enough to the food, their main food source at night, that they were still coming through when it's dark. They'd make it yep. across the road um, to where their mainly their bedding areas, and that's where they were all getting killed from. So it was just a, a bad location for me. That the deer were coming through there, they just were coming through when I wasn't able to hunt them. So. I learned that lesson, even translating that into that public land of, you know, having to be able to be in the right place in that transition or in that line of their movement to where you can get them in that daytime time frame.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And do you do you, uh, do you run quite a few trail cameras?
0: I do on my private spots, but I, I haven't ran any on state land. I I'm actually, public. yeah, I'm going to... Um, I've got two spots I'm probably going to throw a camera up and just let them soak for this month to see if it's an area that because I know there's deer in the area just I don't know what you know the number of deer or like I said for a buck what type of caliber buck because I've hunted a few spots last year where tons of great sign and then it was all forkies and spikes that were coming through it's like all these little guys are making all this sign so I had the right spot of there's tons of sign here and tons of deer movement just not the ones i'm looking for so i'll probably throw a camera up this year just to get an idea of if it's a spot i you know want to hang out in or if it's one like like you said to move it further down the list of potential stands
1: for sure and i'm a big advocate of really utilizing your cameras to tell you like where you where your priority should be depending on the time of year. And what I mean by that is I think I think cameras on primary food sources are great for inventory um, that will give you an idea, like depending on what time those deer are hitting the food source of like, you know, if they're hitting the two hours past dark, there's a chance those deer are, are bedding pretty far away. But like, it can educate you on things like that. But I'm a really big advocate of like, Putting those pieces of the puzzle together with my cameras and being like, I might have one in the primary food source, but I notice like this buck that, or these couple bucks that I'm trying to hunt, are, are hitting that food source, pretty late. So I'm gonna, like through my my, preseason scouting now and, and having an idea where those bucks could be bedding, I'm gonna press my cameras closer to that bedding area to figure out okay well i got a picture i got a picture of him on the bean field at 9:30, but i got a picture of him at this scrape at 8:15, 15 200 yards away from that bean field right before dark so if, his, if he's betting if there's a good chance he's betting here and he's hitting that scrape at this time that, that kind of tells me i gotta press even closer to that bedding area to get, you know, to get a shot at him in daylight and utilizing your cameras that way. But I also know that not everybody's got a bunch of cameras to run. So, um, that's not, um, a situation. But if you do have, even if you do have one camera, when that, if you have an idea of where they're bedding and you can see what time they're coming hitting that primary food source, It can, you you can really use that knowledge to put the pieces of the puzzle together and have an idea of, all right, maybe I don't need to press the bedding area as much as I need to, but I need to be within a hundred yards of it if I'm going to kill them in in the daylight. So, um, and kind of jumping around here, but going back to some of my strategies in October, I don't know if you heard my podcast with Troy Pottinger, um, from Idaho He's a big mock scrape guy. He's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like yep. A, yep. He's a team of mock scrapes, and you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be utilizing those on, on public and private this year. Is finding areas that maybe have, pet, like, whether it's an active scrape or a historical scrape, or an area where I think there should be a scrape. Maybe it's a, maybe there is one primary food source in, you know, Two square miles and there's three bedding areas around that if there's an area where maybe one or two or maybe all three of those bedding areas are going to intersect to that primary food source I'm going to drop a mock scrape there and I'm going to hunt it well I'm going to put a camera over it if if I have a camera at my disposal and I'm going to hunt over that mock scrape because I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you utilize mock scrapes correctly and don't just I mean I've used mock scrapes for a while and I look back to the way I used to use them and it was completely wrong you got to be really strategic on where you put those scrapes um, but if you're able to learn and put those mock scrapes in the correct spots um, you can literally trap that deer you can you can kill them in that scrape if uh, um, if you're using it Strategically properly.
0: So. Yep i i I did the same thing where you know you started hearing people talk about making my graves and how they're so great. And yeah, you know me not knowing any better, I was like, oh, well, I want the deer to stop here, so I build my scrape there, yep. way out of the way, off the trail from what they would normally travel. So i I had a lot of my scrape failures just because I was putting them in the wrong spot. Now what I do is, you know, basically I find you know that main travel corridor you know by my stand, whichever trail I think they're going to use the most and I will put it if not right in in the trail just off of it just enough to where you know the deer almost have to duck out of the way not to touch it and I found a ton of success where you know usually I find that the first ones that really use it are the does but as soon as those does start hitting it you'll you'll know very quickly uh when those bucks are are in that seeking phase because you'll see them you'll have you know a doe using that you know licking branch or using or going through that scrape and then next thing you know you know usually about mid mid to end of october you'll start seeing them bucks all of a sudden appear and every one of them is going to stop and uh you know play around with that like licking branch
1: Absolutely, and I think it can even happen before the seeking phase. Yes, all you're look, all you're trying to do is spark a little bit of curiosity in that buck. So, if you hit a, if you if you create a mock scrape, let's say let's say you find a solitaire in the early season, you're hunting over one, you have seen a lot of doe activity, maybe some, a couple of young bucks that are, that are hitting that food source. Um, if you put a mock scrape there, it might if there's a a more mature buck in that area whether it be you know just a two and a half year old on public or could be an older buck. um it might spark his curiosity enough to like all right why why does he think this is his area like this is obviously my dirt i'm in, like i or get that whiff of you know of, of something that he's not used to that might just irritate him enough to come to that oak tree a half an hour earlier than he usually does, so um, I, th- I think they can be just as vital in in the early season. But obviously, as you like you said, as you approach that Halloween date, that's when you know that's when you see the most activity on those scrapes from from hard horn. So, um. Yeah i I'm, I'm a huge advocate of of uh of utilizing those and getting those out like while you're doing your speeds now in september like if, if you don't have them out already if, if you can find if you find a, a strategically correct spot and i don't want to go in too much of the weeds on that if you can listen to my chasing legends podcast with troy to learn about that but um if you can find a good spot to put a scrape, put one down early because it, it anything to increase your chances, right? So,
0: yep, yeah, pretty much my aspect. You know, the best time to uh, put a mod scrape down is today. Yep. So whenever you, yep. if you think Absolutely. that one needs to be put in, put one in, and you'll be surprised to see what happens. Yep, I totally I agree 100% in that. Agree, man. Yep. <laughs> All right, and then so you said that you've uh you're transitioning to doing a saddle this year this is your first year with a saddle
1: it is it is i've always been a lone wolf guy i mean and you know i'm not like hanging up my lone wolf and let it collect dust i think there's uh i think there's trees and there's situations that call for maybe a tree stand and not a saddle but uh I got hooked up with the guys at Latitude Outdoors, Michigan-based company. Yep, bunch of really cool guys, and uh, they came out with quite the product. Very quiet, very really obviously very light, um, easy to use, and I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it's going to change especially on those uh, those public land hunts where you're getting back there quite a bit. Um decreasing the the weight i'm carrying but i mean the lone wolf is very light for a tree stand but it's still a tree stand Yeah. so decreasing that weight by eight nine pounds and making things maybe a little bit quieter um how can you say no right
0: yeah yeah last year well at the end of last year i ended up buying a um a tree stand from xop um thinking i was gonna mainly use it as my like mobile setup but even with just playing around with it you know it's still a tree stand and you know even though it is much lighter than your typical you know steel um or yep. permanent stand it's it's still a tree stand when you're trying to set up so it is a bit of a pain in the butt still to get it on the tree and whatnot you're doing a ton, you're still doing a ton of movement um and it's still not the easiest thing to do just because of the size of the stand still so I actually For sure. I did I did the same thing. I actually just pulled the trigger and um purchased a saddle from Latitude as well just last night. So
1: Nice. I'm going nice. to
0: I'm going to try that too. Uh did
1: You go with the method? The method too?
0: Um no, I did the classic too. Okay. So okay. I I really like that the method, but I don't know. I liked, I like the simplicity of the classic with it just being the single piece, but I do really yep. like how they with the two-piece system of the of the method of you know you can you utilize that upper part as more of that back support and then For the sure. lower portion and, um the you know support your your weight more yeah honestly
1: the classic's great it, it, it's a great product it's that it's a single piece very simplified the, the biggest reason why i went with the loop is because looking ahead at some of my rut hunts and I'm going to be rocking the saddle out in Missouri, potentially in Ohio too, it's really hard for me to get out of the stand in early November, especially, you know, unless it unless it's like last year, I'm hoping, pray to God, we don't have another 75 degree rut. But if it's a decent weather day, it's really hard for me to get out of the stand. And I might end, like, there's some days that I don't plan to sit all day and I do. And having that extra back support, that two piece of the method, um, kind of was like, a. I I was like, well, if I'm going to be in a saddle for 11 hours, uh, it's probably best for me to have some back support.
0: Yep. So yeah, they, yeah. But yeah, but I, I was, I mean, this is kind of a last minute, you know, idea for me to, to try sailing. Cause you know, I, I had planned on using this tree stand that I haven't even put a season in with it yet but then you know this me with you know testing it and trying it you know get trying to get in the tree with it it was still it i don't know for me it was still a pain in but like it didn't make much difference compared to just hanging a regular tree stand for me at that point yeah. yeah so so i looked into it and yeah i was looking at all the the companies and yeah i mean with the latitude the fact that you know they basically don't have all the metal buckles and everything like that very light very quiet and then uh the fact that they're Michigan made the boot. That was the 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 factor for Icing me. On the
1: cake. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like they were yeah. a little bit more pricey than some of the other manufacturers. You, but the fact that it's you know made in Michigan and whatnot, and I know it's not being made overseas or whatnot. It was for worth extra sure money for me. In the U.S. Uh,
1: right like, and you, you get what you pay for, right? So, yep. Um, I'm looking forward to rocking it. I'm not gonna, like I said, I'm. I'm I'll have that model. So I, I got, you know, like anything else, practice and, you know, being a little bit of a gearhead and silence in the tree stand a little bit and the sticks helped over time. And I, I, I could rock that. If I forgot my saddle and just had my, mobile, I could still rock a mobile setup for a week, but, um, having the, uh, um, having both options will be nice because, And, you know, I'm probably going to be leaning toward the saddle more often than not. But, um, it's also nice to, you know, sometimes sit in a tree stand. So, or if you don't, if I don't have a long walk in, um, and I'm going to be sitting all day, then that tree stand might be the more comfortable option. So it's nice to have both.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm still most definitely going to utilize both. I'm pretty sure, like you said, going to lean towards that saddle more because, yeah even with me trying out that a mobile tree stand i just think that that sounds just a little bit slicker you can get in a little bit quieter a little bit quicker i think so but we'll see how it goes for sure
1: yeah my biggest piece of advice to you is as soon as you get that thing just climb that tree and start shooting because it's different okay um, shooting out a stand uh, i'm going over to my cousin's house tonight actually to Shoot again out of it because it's it's different. It takes some getting used to, but um, like anything else, the more you practice, the easier it'll become when when it's the moment.
0: Gotcha. All right. So I'm actually starting to run out of time here. I got to get ready here for work. Yeah. But I want to go over two things for you, or yep. ask you two things. So one is gear related, the other one is like a uh, like a hunting hack. So um, to close, one piece of gear that you think, um, you know, or one piece of gear that you won't, you know, head out to the woods with or that you utilize the most, and again, that's outside of like, like your camo or having your bow or whatnot. What would so one a piece, piece of gear, of
1: gear that, that I like, I 100% need to hang time I hit the woods,
0: or just have or utilize? Yeah, what would you say that you know, if you had the
1: to... uh, windicator, okay. Um, like a milkweed
0: gotcha. wins
1: everything um, especially if you're hunting any kind of any kind of like terrain that has a little bit of character to it that could fool like you know I've been hunting spots where the wind just feels like it's directly in my face or directly off my cheek and I throw some milkweed out and it might be that wind for like three yards and then it just totally shifts and it's like holy shit that's why I'm not seeing deer right now so When I started using milkweed two years ago, um, just a game changer. Um, whether you're hunting farm country, swamp country, hill country, the wind is really shifting in a way that we don't realize. And that little shift that you might not be realizing could be the reason why you don't kill a deer that night. So, or see a deer that night. So, um, yeah, milkweed.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a good one for sure all right and then what would be one type of um like hack or one thing that you um would say you could make that you know make a a hunt go a little bit better or you know a a routine or something like that that could help someone out um
1: that's a good question i well like we just discussed for five ten minutes um if you aren't on the mock scrape game, I would educate yourself on it and, um, and start utilizing it because that could be the difference of you seeing that buck, you know, five minutes before shooting light ends compared to on your trail camera an hour after you get it out of your stand. So utilizing those mock because I think they can work throughout, the year, Uh but also the biggest, hack, the biggest hack is like being strategic with your access. If you are parking, especially if you're hunting on public land, if you're parking in the same spot as everybody else, or in the spot that's you know the designated parking area and not trying to change it up, um, you're probably doing more harm than good. Uh, deer that live on pieces of property know where the pressure comes from. Uh, and there's reasons why guys kill bucks 30 yards off of public access because those bucks sometimes will sit there and watch you, watch you come and watch you leave. So I don't care if not, it, if your hunt is only an hour, if it takes you two hours to get in, as long as as you, if you get in undetected, that is everything. So, um, it's not really a hack. It's kind of common sense but watching guys access their properties like I have. Um, there's a guy that hunts across the street from me in Michigan, and I watch him walk straight across his bean field every single night I hunt. And I'm just looking at the bedding area from a distance that he's hunting. Like, every deer is watching you right now, man. So I think a lot of us, like, especially weekend warriors, or guys that are just getting up to work. Really want to get to that stand ASAP. They try to, you know, develop a shortcut to get to that stand. It, you're doing more harm than good. Uh, take your time. Get into your stand. It might, might, might mean waking up an hour or two earlier. might mean a shorter sit to access it from a, a different area than you're used to. Um, but you're going to have a more quality hunt. So access is everything.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, that again, that's it. You'd almost say that you know, worrying about your scent and access should be hunting 101. And because uh. you, you ask anyone, and they'll tell you, like, yeah, oh, yeah, you got to make sure you're you're not leaving scent and whatnot. So everyone knows that making sure that you're, you know, that you're maintaining a low scent profile is important, but putting that into practice, um, I think that's where certainly I fell short for a good number of years until I started really understanding what that meant of, you know, making sure that you know which, wh- where the wind direction is going. That next step into that is, you know, if where you're at, how does the wind move in that area? Cause you know, I've had areas where the wind was blowing directly away from deer and, you know, there was a little bit of swirling going on or the wind was blowing off, you know, a wall of trees and kind of circling back to deer. And you get winded so understand that wind and you brought up you know having that that wind checker those milkweed are really good at you know they will float around and you'll see them take a turn or start going back the other direction um following yeah. that breeze and then yeah, and ha- let
1: me uh go on I'm sorry
0: oh no go 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 ahead
1: no 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 i'm sorry but when i i realized i said windicator and i strictly mean milkweed as your indicator, because like you know i've uh, in the past i was using those little what they call windicators where you squeeze the bottle and that little spray comes out mm-hmm. and then you watch it but it dissipates after like four feet so you think the wind is in your favor until you start using milkweed and you can follow that milkweed for watch it for 20 to 40 yards and see what, exactly what it's doing um huge difference so when i say like you were just saying wind is everything and when you're checking the wind, make sure you are checking it properly and seeing what that wind is doing for a longer duration than two feet past
0: your face. Yep. Yeah, because that was the I think the biggest thing that propelled me last year of having so many encounters I did was really paying attention to that wind. So not hunting stands if they had a bad wind. Um, you know, making sure that if it's a morning hunt that. I'm a little bit higher to where those thermos potentially get pulled up with, you know, as the, those thermos rise up. If it's a lowland stand, hunt that more, you know, in the evening to where, cause otherwise that scent's going to sink down those lowland areas if you're up high. And then like you said, that access, you know, making sure that you're not, you know, basically walking through where the deer are to get to your stand, you know, take the long way around, um, you know, try not to cross you know, have them cross your path before they're within range of you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you would ask any hunter, would you rather go on a hunt for two hours and see four bucks or six hours and see one, a hundred percent of them would say the former. So, and that means, you know, that could mean getting to your stand a heck of a lot slower, from a different from a lot, a direction that might be a lot longer, but the quality is everything. Yep.
0: You know, yeah. And the, I think the last little bit, the one thing I would add on to for like my hack, again, is on that scent, um, you know, practice, either having some type of scent lindemating spray or what I used last year was I had a little ozone generator. So I take all my hunting stuff off, throw it in the tote. I turn that ozone generator on. And that would just gave me that little bit extra reassurance that, you know, my hunting clothes, you know, after I've been sweating in them or wearing them, you know, that scent starting to get saturated on my clothes that that ozone in my toe would, uh, you know, kind of take some of that scent away. And that made it a lot easier for me where I wasn't, you know, being so particular about having to wash my, you know, hunting clothes nearly as often. And I noticed, I still noticed a good improvement where, you know, even after even not washing my hunting clothes nearly as often, I still wasn't getting, you know, winded or, you know, or at least realize, or where I could see that deer were clearly winding me.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I, I, I'm a true believer that you'll never fool a buck's nose, but it also could be the difference in buying you that five or six extra seconds, you yep. know, where he doesn't realize it right away. Yep, and those are the only seconds you need. So
0: yeah, I know. I always my, my dad always teases me about all like the nitpick things that I do, and he says, "Why are you doing all like?" He's like, "Like well." It may not make much difference, but if that gives me a step or two, then I'm going to do this extra thing, even though it's a pain in the butt.
1: Absolutely. Like you said, like we said before, Michigan Bucks are some of the toughest Bucks to kill in the country, especially the mature ones. So anything that could potentially give us a leg up for even two or three seconds, you know, I'm going to take advantage of that.
0: Yep. Yep. All right, sir. Well, I am – out of time here so i gotta get myself ready for work for tonight so um,
1: no problem ty thanks for having me on man. oh
0: no thank you for taking your time to come on and you know certainly good luck to you this upcoming season good luck on your trips and uh good luck on the final preparation for your wedding
1: <laughs> i appreciate it uh think hunting season's around the corner to keep me kind of preoccupied so that's not the only thing on my on mind yep but uh yeah i appreciate it man and uh we'll stay in touch and good luck this october send me a picture maybe, yeah i uh, feel that tag yep send to you thanks man
0: all right take care yep we'll see you time bye all right and that's a wrap big thank you again to steven for taking time out of his evening to uh, come on the show and talk with me a bit and as always fun you know having a conversation with someone else and not just having to be me monologuing and you know going over you know i'm thinking but it's great to get another perspective so he's always got a really good perspective you know that's again another reason why i love his show you know i've learned quite a bit of just how you know he approaches hunting and how i've been able to apply it to my own situation as well so again check out his show again is chasing legends um again you can find that pretty much anywhere we can find a podcast so give him a listen you know and just closing too, you know he did bring up some good points about know with the mock scrapes and whatnot that again that was another great episode on his show so if you want to learn more about you know implementing mock scrapes and whatnot again go on over to his show and give that one a listen and i will again list i'll link uh, his show as well as that episode on the mock scrapes uh, down in the show notes if you want to quick jump over to his show and give that a listen as well um, i'm going to have that available and again we're looking at you know it's already the first week of september so we only got a few weeks left um, before the bow opener and then again you got the youth uh, or the liberty hunt the 11th and 12th i believe this year so it's an early hunt and then again we're looking at the 18th and 19th for the early antlerless season you know a good opportunity to get out and harvest some does get out there early and again that is for private land so if you're have a private land spot where you could do that and like Steven said if you're not worried about blowing out the area or potentially disrupting uh, your buck activity then that's a good time to get out there as well and then a short couple weeks after that uh, we'll be right at the time for archery season to begin so get that final prep work done do any last minute scouting again you can do that speed scouting type stuff that steven did talk about as well you know this is the last little bit of uh prep time really before you start really getting the season so make sure that you're that you're prepped and ready to go with all your stand locations and hunting spots make sure your gear is ready to go so get that last minute prep work in because the season will be upon us before you know it